What's up, everybody? Welcome to the JKR Podcast. My name is Jay Strigling. I'm going to be your host. Let's get into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. My name is Jay Shrigling and I'm the host. Today is episode number 30. We have Strategic Athlete Initiatives Managing Director and FIBA Certified Basketball Agent Alex Taminski on the show. So Alex started for Strategic Athlete Initiatives back in 2016 when the company began. He's really helped build it to what it is today. Has co- has had quite a bit of recent success within the Power Five these past few years, signing NC State big man Wyatt Walker to the company as well as IU Daron Davis. Uh, just a few years ago. So he's had quite a bit of recent success. Today we talk a little bit about his career so far, um, just his initial interest in becoming an agent, um, just the buildup of strategic athlete initiatives, what he's done all the way from the beginning all the way up to now, what he does day to day, the pros and cons of playing overseas and in the G League. So he compares a little bit about that, um, talk about the G League draft process and much more. So let's just dig in. I hope you guys enjoy. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. Today we've got Strategic Athlete Initiatives Managing Managing Director and FIBA Certified Basketball Agent Alex Taminski on the show. Alex, I'm super glad to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jace. You? I'm doing great. Glad to hear that. So just to get started, uh, let's have you just introduce yourself a little bit. That way the listeners can get to know who you are, and then we'll get digging into some questions. Absolutely. So um, myself personally, I've been an agent in the business for the past five plus years. Uh, I've done a lot of placement for players internationally. Um, I've worked with SAI, as you said, strategic athlete initiatives since we were just after inception, since we've been a startup company. So been able to be with the firm from really the the ground up, you know, uh, building it from no clients to where we've been today. Uh, I've had the opportunity to place clients and players in roughly 20 different countries on six different continents, including the NBA G League. I've had guys play in the Summer League as well, um, a lot over in Europe, players in Canada, Asia, and South and Central America as well. So uh, that's really been a, a bit of an overview of, of my history since joining SAI. All right, cool. So just to get started, I want to ask you a few questions about um, just your career in general, like your all, overall, all your experiences, like what made you want to be an agent? And then later on, we'll talk a little bit about uh, strategic athlete initiative as a whole and just the whole business in general. So um, just to get started, uh, what got you first interested in being an agent? Well, I think it, just like a lot of agents, it really roots from just a, having a, a large passion for sports in general. Um, you know, to be an agent, whatever sport it is, you just have to have a, a passion for sports in general. So it really stemmed from that back in my college days. I didn't really have a set idea of what I wanted to do specifically. I just knew I wanted to work in sports. And as my college career kept progressing, it came known to me of the route to potentially becoming a sports agent. Um, I just did a lot of research into it. You know, I didn't want to go into, any, into anything blind. I didn't think it was, frankly, something I was capable of doing without a law degree. I thought that was just a requirement, although it's not. Um, and so really just did a lot of research on the industry and slowly but surely started to fall in love with the, the process of it, reading a lot of different stories, the good and the bad, you know, you take with it. Um, but really just started to fall in love with it, of 
the process. I've always loved the business of sports, not just sports in general. I've always liked what happens on the back end of sports teams, how the finances work, how the players get signed, how the deals work out and everything like that. So um, after I started researching sports and uh, being a sports agent, I really kind of fell into where my passion was at of, of, like I said, really the business side of sports. Yeah. And when was that, that you first started doing your research on the agent industry? Oh, let's see. That would have been around my junior year of college, which would have been back in 2014 or so. That's when it, uh, I guess, became more known to me, but it was probably late 2015, maybe start of 2016, when it really, I started to hit a little harder, so to speak, and and really dive into the business and, and make that final decision and, you know, decide to jump all in at it. Yeah. And when you first got interested in it, was it your idea of basketball or were you thinking a different sport? It was definitely basketball. So back in college, um, I played soccer collegiately. I, I love soccer. But even during those times, I always had more of a passion for basketball. That's just always been my sport. Uh, the sport I love to watch, the business side of that sport has always been extremely intriguing to me. So I, I knew going into the agent business, I wanted to work in basketball. And that's the biggest thing for any agent is you need to be highly educated on the sport you're going into. Um, you know, for instance, baseball, things like that. Love it, but it's not, I don't have an expertise in that sport. And so really wanted to go towards a sport. I had a, a vast knowledge on, knew a lot of the history on, and knew I could evaluate players and talent to um, help grow our business. Um, so, so that was really how I determined I wanted to go into basketball. We've done a bit in soccer as well with my past experience there as well. But I knew right from the get-go I wanted to do basketball because that's just where a lot of my history and knowledge has been. Yeah. So being so now that you're an agent and managing director at SAI, is this your first job in sports or have you had previous experiences before that's kind of helped you out? Yes, I've had previous experiences before all the way back to my early college days, uh, starting as an intern for a, a startups um, professional soccer organization over in West Michigan, uh, being a front office intern, um, helping them pretty much develop their processes from scratch to um, like I said, being a startup professional soccer organization for their first year so that was really where I originally started working in sports outside of the stuff when I was younger the camps and things involved in athletics I was always in, um, a part of um, so that's where I started before I joined SAI though in my professional career I was with another agency over in Portland Oregon um, larger agency a little bit more decentralized so to speak and so I worked with them for about a year till I connected with SAI um, and the our um, a director there, Ben Norris, and, and things kind of came together to join SAI at that point. Okay. And what was the agency called uh, in Oregon? It's called Sports Management Worldwide. So they're, okay. they're uh, a sports agency, but they also do large education. They provide a lot of education in the sports world, um, not just in basketball. You can tap into any sport. So they also provide a lot of educational purposes and, and resources for people who, whether they're coming out of college and want to get into sports or if they want to tr maybe transition from another industry into the sports industry, they provide a lot of content and courses that people can take to, to kind of get their feet wet. Yeah. Back when, back when I first started researching the agent industry, sports management worldwide popped up a lot. Absolutely. I've always thought about taking one of those classes, but I mean, I haven't yet. Yes. You know, I've only taken the one I took the athlete management course, um, really educational. Like I said, really helped me get an idea of what the business was all about outside of just my research, hearing a lot of firsthand accounts from the agents they have working for them and, and managing the courses for them. Um, so yeah, it, it popped up for me a lot. And that's how I ultimately got connected with them to do the athlete management course and was brought on as an agent advisor for them. So uh, I would imagine anybody who does research on 
being a sports agent, that that uh, website and company will, will certainly pop up. Yeah. So you said you were you were certified you were FIBA certified when you were working for them. Not when I was working for the agency over in Oregon. Um, I was working under the umbrella of somebody else's. Okay. Uh, somebody else's certification, and then once I joined SAI, um, I that's where I actually met our director Ben Norris down in Miami, Florida. Oddly enough, uh, while we were both taking our FIBA certification exams. Okay. So that's so you, you said that's how you got connected with SAI. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. We only honestly uh, randomly connected after the test. Sat down to grab a bite to eat, and you know the rest was history. Four months later, we're kicking off SAI. Yeah. So can you take us through that story a little bit about uh, that first meeting you just talked about to compare to um, starting SAI? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, this was just one of those very classic moments of just kind of putting yourself out there and you never know what's going to happen type of situations. I was down there for about three to four days. They only, at least when I took it, which, you know, about four or five years ago, they only provided it in one location in the U.S. since the FIBA office is located over in Sweden. Um, they do it annually down in December. Again, that was when it was, um, took the test. They gave out all the scores, people passing. And again, just randomly went up to somebody, shook their hand, trying to network a little bit. Um, a lot of people from different countries. So I was actually more focused on connecting with people from other countries and in hopes of developing some partnerships. Uh, but ultimately again, connected with our director and founder, um, Ben Norris, again, sat down. Had a, had a bite to eat, had a couple of drinks, just started really just spitballing some ideas. We, we chatted for a couple of hours. And um, again, one of those oddly enough connections that he was in uh, where the agency is based in South Bend, Indiana. And at that, at that time, I was located in West Michigan. So we only lived about two hours from each other. So location also helps. And like I said, really, after about three, four months after we initially met, things came together and, and really the rest is history. Yeah. So when you guys were first starting, like what was it mainly about? How did you guys build from being an up and coming company all the way to where you guys are at right now. Right. So biggest thing is wanting to develop our reputation, you know, being a, in, in sports in general, it's in business um, to a wide degree is it's who, you know, sports is that to the max, really. It's, it's who, you know, and on the agent side of things, it's really about having reputation and, and something to show and prove that you're capable of helping these professional athletes reach the career goals they're trying to get to. So objective, objective, excuse me, objective number one for us would have been developing reputation. Um, and, and again, really building from the ground up. Uh, when I first started as an agent, I didn't have any, you know, relatives, really close friends playing professionally. And so I had to start from absolutely nothing. I didn't know anybody in the business. I knew a couple of people who worked in college athletics, but other than that, I didn't know anybody. So, it was largely based on growing our reputation, um, getting our name out there, especially across the Midwest is where we initially focused because we kind of saw that as a bit of our home base. Um, and so really it was reputation and still to this day, but one of our biggest things um, from the start was just networking, expanding our network amongst professional um, personnel in you know, the G League, the NBA, over in Europe, as well as developing, developing some partnerships with um, other agents located in different countries in case of language barriers and things like that. So those have been a couple of the the main things when you're you know starting a, a brand new company, brand new agency, don't have any reputation in the business. Um, those were a couple of the key things we really honed in on to, to help get our name out there and, and, you know, really show what we could do for players. Yeah. So like currently, are you guys like a two man crew right now or do you guys have other employees at strategic athlete initiatives? So I have some additional agents working for me as well. So our director, Ben, and also have our president, Mike Stockram, um, 
both of them are really involved in when it comes to the financial side of things themselves, but they also work for us as agents and um, have some close contacts at uh, places like Notre Dame, since the agency is located right there. And also have a couple of other agents working for me as well, um, mainly in basketball, I have a, an AU director and owner who runs his own AU program up in West Michigan, Marcus Lancaster, um, who's brought on with me as an, uh, as an agent a little over a year ago. And actually have a former client of mine who decided that he wanted to focus more on the training side of, of basketball, Wyatt Walker, who went to North Carolina State and played in the G League um, for a year, um, who's also working for me down in Jacksonville, Florida as well. So our team is getting up to about uh, five, six people right now and um, always talking to more agents who want to have some type of affiliation with us, bring, under the, uh, bring them under the brand of SAI um, to help expand our team into other locations as well. Yeah. So right now you guys are mainly just basketball. Is there in the future you guys planning on getting into other sports or what exactly is that plan? Absolutely. You know, um, the upside in some ways of, of being a startup sports agency is that we didn't have to tap into many different sports at once. And I, I advise most most agents or agencies, unless you have a vast team already with expertise in different areas, don't stretch yourself too thin when you're starting off. Um, I really encourage any agents out there who are just starting to hone in on one particular sport to help grow your base in that before you expand into others. So that was part of our business model as well is um, create a strong base in basketball, show those players what we can do and then expand to other sports from there. So we've looked at some other areas. Um, as I mentioned, I've done some soccer in the past. I've worked with some players in, in soccer going for the MLS and um, USL here in the United States. Um, also trying to get some places overseas and for the future, really, we want to go and kind of follow where the trends are going in, in some ways, but hopefully be a bit a ahead of those trends. So that's part of, as I mentioned, the luxury of sometimes being a, a younger company, not having our, our base set in one specific area, we can actually have a pretty open mind for the future of where we'd like to go. So an area we've highly considered tapping into is esports. the way esports has grown over the past couple of years. A lot of those players, I think even if you ask them, they didn't expect it to grow the way it has. And providing our services to those players uh, when it comes to contract negotiations um, in, a, in a highly unregulated space, esports has virtually no regulations when it comes to contracts and players, um, can be a little bit daunting for players. So we could see ourselves tapping into esports. Um, I know some of our agents and our owners love this, the idea of being in the NFL. Um, we've also been in talks with a couple of agents over on the baseball side of things. So, you know, we're, again, we're really trying to keep an open minds, um, but, uh, you know, really would like to ideally oh, as time passes and we keep expanding our team, be able to tap into most of them, if not all of the major sports here in the States. Yeah. So when you guys do events, sports, uh, get into football, baseball, doing some of that stuff, or are you going to have your people do what they do? So I will certainly be involved in it. Um, pretty much any aspect of the business I'm involved in, really. Um, again, my main focus would stay in basketball for the most part, but um, for more, more of a managerial side for the other sports. So um, although we bring on other agents who might have a bit more of an expertise, as I mentioned earlier, about baseball, somebody who has a lot of experience and, and contacts over in baseball. So they might be handling some of the, the main things for us, but I'd still be there in an oversight capacity and and help with the contract negotiation side of things and, and sponsorships and, and things along those lines for our clients. So although basketball would still be my, I guess my, my main sport, um, you know, we still have to make sure all the other divisions we decide to open run efficiently as well. So I'd be tapped into all those as well as, as needed. Yeah. And, 
And that's because you're the kind of the managing director of strategic athlete initiatives, correct? That, correct. That's, so, so, you know, it's, it's really the, the day-to-day operations is, is what I'm there for, um, you know, being an agent, but also managing the, the business and company as a whole. So um, that way, my experience can show to other athletes as we expand in other sports that we have vast experience when it comes to contract negotiation. So, yeah, I'm very involved in all those processes to make sure all of our clients, you know, get the, the top-notch um, service that we provide for all of them that we promise. Yeah, and I'm sure today is quite a bit different like each from day to day it's different but um could you kind of explain to us what each day kind of looks like for you throughout like throughout a normal week right so something that actually really attracted me to the the business of sports agent was when i was doing my research before i even became an agent was i heard so many times that no day was the same and and i really like that idea when it came to my profession or my job not having the same thing to come to every single day so it is a little challenging to say maybe what a specific day looks like, but to give you an idea, it, it depends on the time of the year. So certain parts of the year um, when collegiate athletes are finishing up their seasons, speaking specifically in basketball. So around that March, April, May time, you know, right after March madness or teams that don't quite make it around that time of the year, it's largely working our collegiate contacts, um, contacting the players, um, doing a lot of player scouting as well. When you were doing a couple things for me, Jace, a lot of player scouting as you, you experienced there too. Um, it's really d- determining at some points of the year um, who we want to really target to bring on as new clientele. So that time it's really a lot more film watching, watching games, talking with our coaches, getting a better feel for those players. Um, so for about a month or two, that's largely in part of what it is. And then talking with these athletes during that time as well. I'm explaining to them how we'd be able to help them pursue their uh, pro career. So that'd be part of the year, again, a little earlier. But I guess if you want to say an average day, um, I would say it's mainly keeping in touch with clients, making sure they're set up, their training's going well, they have all the resources they need. Always networking, as I mentioned earlier, too. I mean, it's a never-ending networking business. I would say almost every single day, that would be the one constant thing that I do is networking with personnel, whether here in the States, over in Europe, again, some of the agent partners I work with over in different locations. So that, that I'd say that's the one main thing that's day in and day out is, is networking because um, that's how we get all of our players signed to their deals. And then other parts of the year, it's a lot of contract negotiations, marketing our players to teams. So it, it is partially seasonal when it comes to what a typical day might look like. Um, but for the most part, say we're working through the summer right now, as we are, a lot of it is talking with teams, figuring out what they need, what type of players they're looking for, what their budgets are like, and then determining with our clients what the best move is for them, what the best contract that's available um, that they should take to help their take their career to the next level would be a, a typical day. Yeah. And you, you briefly talked about the recruiting process there a little bit. You said like in the springtime, your day-to-day is a little different just because of recruiting. But could you take us through what the recruiting process kind of looks like um, in terms of recruiting a college basketball player to come to your agency? Yeah, right. So it, it differs a little bit with every single player that we're pursuing based on their personal situations as well. So for some players, when it, the recruiting process often starts when they are much younger in college. Um, some of them, it'll start when they're freshman or sophomore. We start keeping an eye on these players that we know we have good contacts with the coaching staff at. Um, others, we might they, they might have a, a breakout season come their junior or senior year, and we we start to recruit those players at that time. So really it differs with every single player, but 
to give you an idea of what a typical recruiting process looks like, it's um, keeping an eye on the player. We don't, we try not to really bother the player, the coaching staff during the season, especially as they're starting to get towards the end of the year when um, conference tournaments come around or they're heading towards the actual NCAA tournament. We try to not really be in the ear too much around that time of the year. So sometimes in the fall, the recruiting process might start where we're talking with the coaches alone, letting them know we have our eye on this player. And then come the appropriate time in the spring, it'll be reconnect with those coaches, kind of getting their ideas, not only if this player is um, talented, but also if they're going to be a player with good character, they're going to represent our company well, if we send them to other locations and, and really picking the coach's brain as what these, their, this specific player is all about. Um, and then after that, as I mentioned, um, if they are for sure, whether they're forgoing any remaining college eligibility or they're, they've already graduated, they're out, out of eligibility, ready to turn pro, get in touch with those players. Process always differs. Some players we connect right away and we could have a deal done with the next couple of days to represent them. Other players, they want to take their time. They might take a couple of months, us talking five, seven, 10 times, talking with their families. Um, not uncommon that, you know, mom, dad, aunt, aunt uncle, um, or mentor who they have who might have played professionally in the past. Um, they want me to speak with them as well. Uh, because this is often a very new process for athletes. You know, they've never worked in the agent side of things. It's really just been high school basketball, playing in college, never had to worry about living and locating to another country, what league is better than this one, et cetera. So um, it's a lot of just conversation to make the athletes feel more comfortable with what we're able to provide for them. And again, going back to our reputation and experience, um, explain it to them and their loved ones. And then ultimately, whatever their time frame they're working with on is ideally sign those players to a representation contract and then shift over to the side of looking for different options for them to sign with the club. Yeah. So for this upcoming recruiting class, so for the 2021-2022 basketball season, when do you think you'll start kind of reaching out to some players? So when it comes to players, we tend to wait until their eligibility is ready to expire. The unique situation that happened this past year is with the NCAA granting collegiate athletes, in the winter at least, an extra year of eligibility to come back. So that really ruffled things up for the 2021 recruiting class this past spring. So for some players, it was where we recruited, it was a little different than a typical year because throughout this summer, as these players were determining if they wanted to come back for another year of college or turn to the pro level, um, a lot of their coaches wanted them to speak with agents regarding what the prospects might look like, what their chances are of obtaining that right professional contract or, um, earning the money that they're really aiming for when they decide to turn pro. So some of, for some players this year, it started this past spring by me potentially advising them that I suggest that they stay in college for another year. Um, so that was, again, a bit of an odd year there, but typically speaking, we won't get in touch with players for the 2021-22 season for the most part until after they're graduated from, um, from playing this upcoming fall, excuse me, this upcoming spring in, in 2022. Um, we will do more of communication with the coaching staff. So oftentimes around right around this time of the year before they really start their preseason um, training, a lot of times touch base with a lot of those collegiate coaches, see how things are going for them. Um, let them remind them that there's some key players on their team that we might be keeping an eye on that we'd love to talk with at the appropriate time. So it's really, again, talk with those players once their eligibility tends to expire and really it's tapping into and, and networking, having a strong relationship with coaches at different universities to um, 
again, pick the coach's brain, but also have the coach potentially direct this player to at least have a conversation with us when they are, when they do ultimately decide to pursue a professional career. Yeah. So since you said you kind of try to focus on reaching out after their eligibility is over, how does that work for the guys that are one and done or decide to leave after their sophomore junior season? Right. So it's a little bit different at those situations. I mean, I'd imagine a lot of people have heard of the nightmare stories of athletes talking with agents before their eligibility has expired and the school not being aware of it or other funny business going on and that player losing losing eligibility or the school having to forfeit wins or something like that. Um, so that's, of course, a last case scenario we're really trying to um, be involved in for that. Um, but, I mean, I would say that for – I mean, a good percentage of those would be you have to go through the school for the for the most part. Yeah, right? through so, the compliance office. Yeah, through the compliance office. We have to talk with them, fill out our agent registration forms. Um, then typically how that would work is you have a meeting with the coaches present and or somebody from the compliance office, um, have a conversation with the athlete. So really there's just a lot more regulation going into it to make sure that – Again, no funny business is going on with the agents talking to these players, trying to push them to go out of college, offering them benefits and things like that. So really, it's just more communication goes through the university and the school, make sure we have all our paperwork in order um, if we're trying to pursue a player that is looking to forego eligibility and turn professional. So it's really just making sure you, you know, cross your T's, dot your I's when it comes to talking with players with eligibility remaining. So one, you don't tarnish their reputation and don't tarnish yours with the university as well, because sometimes one wrong instance when you're talking to the high-level player the university might tend to turn a cold shoulder if you decide to uh, skip over some steps in that process. Yeah. So could you explain that process to us of reaching out to the compliance office and then finally getting to talk to that player? Absolutely. So step-by-step, step, it depends on every single state. So some states are part of the UAAA, which is a Uniform Athletic Agents Act, which pretty much to summarize would mean in order to conduct your business as an agent within that state, you need to have a state certification, typically yearly renewal, um, yearly fee to process it. And then if you want to speak with a player with a rem remaining eligibility within that state, typically speaking, the compliance office will require you to register within that state as well. So say, for, for example, if we're based in Indiana, we want to speak with a player who wants to come out after their sophomore year down in Texas, there's a good chance that the compliance office would request our state of Texas agent registration um, information. Um, so we'd have to register in the state of Texas as well if we wanted to contact a player with remaining eligibility. Okay. So typically that process works is checking the state to see if we're not already aware of what the regulations are regarding being registered within the state. We'll, we'll, we will get our registration within that state, um, then contact whoever the specific compliance office personnel is for that sport, as we talked about mainly is basketball. Some compliance offices have somebody who works sp specifically in basketball. Others just have a staff of one or two. So you just contact the director of um, compliance or something like that. Um, from there, it's just having a conversation, letting them know we have all of our necessary registration and forms in place. We were aware of this student athlete who is seeking to turn professional with remaining eligibility. We'd love to get connected with the athlete and have a meeting with you and or the coaching staff um, to discuss options with this player. 
that'd be the typical process of a player who has remaining eligibility. Is that process a little different compared to when you're working with power five schools compared to like mid majors? Yeah, I would say absolutely. You know, one, because when you're talking with players who are coming out with remaining eligibility, 99% of the time you're talking to those players who are in the top 60 players available, you know, high probability of getting drafted. There'll be a couple others who are going to test the waters. You know, of course, those agent regulations have changed. We're now players with remaining eligibility can sign agents while also keeping their eligibility and just test the waters. So that's kind of changed things drastically of the past couple of years. Uh, but yeah, it, it's significantly different when it comes to the power fives and, and compared to mid majors. Um, Cause obviously typically speaking players who come from the power fives, more of those are drafted. And so if you're talking a player who is projected to go first round, it's sometimes difficult to get a meeting with that player. Um, and it really just differs every situation. You know, you've got, the school has 50, 60, 70 agents contacting them because they know one of them after freshman year. Um, that process will be much different. Let's be much more on top of our game. Know people in the university, sometimes multiple people on the coaching staff, and really get in touch with a lot of people quickly if we want to have the opportunity to contact that specific athlete. Um, now, again, there's some very high-level prospects who come from mid-majors. I've represented plenty of mid-major players who have performed, if not outperformed, power five players when they go to the pro level um but again they're just not typically speaking as highly sought after there's you know statistically and so that process is sometimes a little bit different i wouldn't say the process is much looser by any means um but it, it is slightly different it's, it's a bit easier for the most part not always the case to to get in touch with and speak with a player coming from a mid-major situation if they're trying to leave earlier but again if they're already projected to be a top 15 20 even probably up to 45, 50 player in the country, um, that is still a very challenging scenario. Yeah. And um, you've actually had some pretty good success recruiting the Power Five here these past few years in terms of Wyatt Walker, NC State, Derone Davis, Indiana. So what's kind of led to some of that success? Well, I think largely in part, it's the base we created when the agency was started. Um, you know, really telling, you know, as I mentioned before, honing in on what our specific – factors are and what our business plan is going to be as we're starting a, a completely new company, a new agency of, of building reputation, networking. Um, and those would be frankly, almost the, the two main things that has allowed us to get those players from those power five schools. Um, really as time's gone on, we built, built our reputation for the first couple of years as with this agency, um, having a lot of success for our players we worked with. And then from there, it's um, just making the right connection at the right time with a specific individual at a university um, and having a conversation from there um, and just showing them what we've done in the past. You know, yeah. um, just starting off my first year, I, I wouldn't being realistic. I, of course, was a, a little blind to the fact because I had high ambitions starting off, but not knowing anybody in the business at first, I wasn't going to sign a, a quality power five conference type of player without any any background in the business at all. So it really, we, the reason we're able to do that is having a reputation, having a good reputation as an, an honest company. We do well for our players. We, we follow through on our word of what we're going to provide them when we tell them before we even sign these players, what we're going to do for them. We follow through on those things. Um, and, you know, word gets around. It, it, although it's a large business, it's worldwide. Word gets out if you do a good or bad job for your athletes. Um, and I, I hear a lot of that. Uh, you know, from both sides about other people in the business. And, and so it's really just, you know, staying honest, you know, following the rules, frankly, which is, um, is a common misstep for, for some in the business. 
and, and really, you know, like I said, networking reputation has what's really allowed us the opportunity to sign those power five players and get our guy drafted in the first round of the G League and, and things like that. Yeah, and who was that guy drafted in the G League? So that would have been Wyatt Walker. That would have been my guy from North Carolina State. He was drafted in the first round by the OKC Blue um, and then ended up finishing majority of that season with the Salt Lake City Stars where they won the G League Showcase out in Las Vegas in December as well. Okay, so could you take us through that kind of pre-draft experience for you and Wyatt? Absolutely. So the, the fun thing with Wyatt was that obviously coming from a Power 5 school, he's a big man, he's about 6'8", really strong build. Um, he transferred into NC State from Samford before that. So what was really unique about the experience with Wyatt is he, he was a really highly sought-after player. Um, European teams are still pursuing him to this date. You know, he would have played – it would have been the 19, 2019 to 2020 season in the G League. Um, had, didn't play last year um, because he's more focused on the training side of things. Um, I mean, and teams are still asking me almost day in and day out, um, requesting what he's looking for. So um, it was really unique experience going through the draft process with him because we were, we were really teetering between the fact that we want to send him to the G League. We think he's going to have some prospects there. Or do we want to maybe focus over in Europe more where he might be able to scale a little higher? Um, he really wanted to push for the G League, so I said, you know, let's do it. That's what you wanted me to do. Um, so really after about a month or two of working together, really flipped the script over to mainly focusing on what opportunities might be available in the G League. So throughout that process, the way the G League draft works is that in order for a player to be drafted, a team has to submit them, submit their name into the draft pool. Um, so we were fortunate enough to get in touch with a club that was really interested in him. Um, would have been the, the Stars, or excuse me, the um, Austin Spurs, um, San Antonio Spurs affiliate. Um, they really liked him. We were, we were anticipating him to be drafted in the later rounds of the draft. Um, but actually, again, oddly enough, one of those where we had talked to a handful of teams that said we might consider him, no real commitments to bringing him into the draft. So we were still on, almost on the fence at that point of maybe the, the Europe decision would be a better route to start. But um, about 48 hours before the draft, we had calls coming in left and right from a bunch of different teams. Um, one of his former collegiate coaches from North Carolina State, who I have a good relationship with, um, we were texting that morning, and he had calls coming in from multiple other teams in the G League. So really, once his name was in the draft and in the pool, um, things really took off for him on interest and from a lot of teams. And we were anticipating a third or fourth round draft pick and uh, was ultimately drafted 25th in the first round by OKC Blue, as I mentioned. So it, honestly, just a fun process is obviously certainly different compared to players who were we worked with that are, were already dead set on going to Europe. And it was just really juggling and getting feedback from different people in the G League, some people on the NBA side of things, and also different clubs over in Europe to see what is, what is the projection looking like for this year. And you know, really putting together our three- and five-year plan after that of how is this going to scale and how we're going to ultimately get, get him to the level he wants to play at. So it, it was a fun process and a lot different than players who are solely just planning to go over to Europe. Yeah. So what were those phone calls like with the team? So like what types of questions were they asking and just overall, what were the phone calls like? Right. So some typical questions you'll get during that process is if there's any injury history with the player. Um, you know, he's only had some minor injury history, but it is on the knee part, especially with big men. That tends to be a large concern for teams if they have injury history. Um, that was one pretty much an easy thing to check off the list. They've been healthy for a couple of years. So always injury history. Very common question that comes along is, 
what's this player's character like? You know, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've had players lose deals or get deals because of their bad or good character. Um, so teams always want to know what type, what's their personality like? Are they going to be able to get along with players? Do they buy into the team aspect of things is a huge question that always comes about um, is, you know, if he's not starting this year after he started almost his entire life through, you know, juniors, high school, college is going to be thrown off if he doesn't get to start right now, things like that. Um, then of course, really w- what we see his trajectory being like um, since going from a mid-major to a, a power five school after that, he was put in a bit of a different role. And so a lot of our conversations when it came to specifically the basketball side of things for him was just um, really stressing the versatility he has. Cause he was putting a more of, again, a big man role at North Carolina state. I mean, he was put in a situation where he needs to be down low and try to stop players like Zion Williamson from coming through the lane, dunking, you know, players from Duke, North Carolina, all those big men. Um, that was really what he was putting in there to kind of be the brute force down in the middle. So, which he really excelled at for North Carolina, uh, NC State. Um, but he also had a di- bit of a different role at Samford where he was, was able to stretch the floor. He could shoot it a bit better um, than he was given the opportunity to at North Carolina State. And, and so things like that uh, is what we really want to stress to those teams is don't just look at his resume from North Carolina State. We'd love for you to check out, say, this highlight film or this full game tape from when he played at Samford because that really shows – all what he's able to do. He's a very, you know, versatile player. Teams love versatility in this day and age of basketball. Um, so, you know, there's some stuff that happens off the court in those conversations of injury history, as I said, just, you know, how are they as a person? And then there's kind of diving into some specifics of what is this player capable of doing now? Are they a hard worker? And what is, again, what is their trajectory going to look like if they work hard and, and where can they really take their game? It is typically what a conversation like that looks like. Yeah. And then when you and Wyatt, you guys were ta- discussing whether going to the G League or going overseas to Europe, what were some of the pros and cons, the pros and cons of the G League and the pros and cons of going overseas to Europe? Right. So that's a conversation I have with a, a lot of players as well when it comes to determining if they should aim for the G League or go overseas because the, the unfortunate thing for some players when they're first starting off, um, or even players who have a couple of years of experience for that matter, is that the G League draft happens after many of the European seasons start. Um, obviously, this past year, things have been thrown off a bit. Uh, but, for instance, the G League draft tends to happen in late October, sometimes into November time. So at that point, a lot of these European seasons have already started. So really, the conversations, the way they always work is throughout the summer, getting feedback from our contacts in the G League and overseas to, one, if, if this player wants to focus on the G League, is determining what the interest in them is like. So I tell a lot of players that, you know, pretty much every guy I talk to, if they're not ready for the NBA, would love to play in the G League, especially now that a handful of years ago they redid the CBA for the the G League and players are actually getting paid adequate money now. Um, So it's a little more worth it for players to play in the G League. But I also explain to players that sometimes it's not always beneficial to just go to the G League because an opportunity presents itself. So just because a player is drafted doesn't mean they're going to make the roster. And if you don't get drafted, we're behind the eight ball then of trying to get you into Europe. Not going to say that's not certainly something we could do, but when, you know, compared to midsummer when you're talking June time, about 90% of the market is open. Come that October time, you're looking at maybe 15, 20% of the market is open at that point. Yeah. Um, so the pros and cons are really, if you're going to the G League, are you going to get the playing time? Of course, it's not guaranteed, but we just want to have the feedback from the clubs that they actually foresee this person getting playing time and not just being a, a guy in the bench to maybe turn into something. 
Um, so it's determining, are you going to get playing time? Um, what your role is going to be with that team? And if you're really not going to get adequate playing time, although you might be a great basketball player, it may very well be a better opportunity for you to go play over in Europe because you'll be one of the main scorers, one of the main players, and you always transition back. So I guess an overview of the, the pros and cons for the G League. Pros are you get to stay in the United States because um, a lot of players having to travel to other countries. You are paid adequately now. It's a short season, so it's about five months season for the G League outside of this past, past year. So adequate pay has been really attractive to a lot of players. Um, and you get a lot of exposure uh, playing the G League. And as long as you get to play and put up decent stats, it can help catapult you to that next level, whether, of course, it's getting an Exhibit 10 type of contract with your um, G League and NBA team or um, actually getting an NBA call-up or actually transitioning back over to Europe after a good G League season. So those would be the pros. Again, some things I mentioned with the cons is that if you go there and you don't play, it can actually be challenging to get your foot started back in the door overseas because all those teams love to see players with G League experience that if you don't have any statistics and film to back it up, it makes it quite challenging then to get your foot back in the door in Europe. A lot of players do it, but I've worked with a, a lot of players as well who didn't get the time they thought they were going to get in the G League, and then they are kind of battling to get their foot back in the door overseas in Europe. So those are the pros and cons of the G League. As for Europe, um, a lot of the pros, which can also be a con for some players, frankly, is that you get to experience a lot of other cultures and get paid to do it. So some players love the idea of being able to travel the world. I mean, your flights are paid for, your living is paid for. Oftentimes they cover some meals. Every now and then you get a car. Um, so some guys love the idea of being able to travel to other countries and, and experience those cultures throughout the year. Um, other players dislike that because sometimes there's a language barrier, they're far away from family, things like that. Um, so that can be a pro or a con for some, but um, really I would say another pro of being over in Europe is that if you're put in the right situation, which a lot of players, if you have good representation, they should be able to put you in that right situation is you're kind of one of the main players on the team. So say you're in a situation where you only have a couple of import players allowed. Um, having the opportunity to be one of the main players on this team can really help take you to the next level. And I always tell guys, we, we can go to Europe for a year or two, and we can always come back to the G League. You know, the G League's not going anywhere. It's only growing. Um, so that's kind of the main side is that guys can really be one of the main scorers and really show their game to the fullest over in Europe. Um, but again, with the, another con for Europe, though, is that it is international business. We are working with people in different countries, different cities, and you never – I guess not never, but sometimes you don't quite know what you're getting yourself into. Meaning I've heard a lot of horror stories or negative side of stories from players who go to a country and they're just not provided what they thought they were going to provide. It's not that uncommon, unfortunately, over in Europe for players to not get paid the full amounts they're supposed to be getting paid teams, breaking contracts, or it's not hold, upholding their end of the, of the deal. It is a very common place over in some sp specific European countries and places like that. Um, so that'd be another con, but you know, it really, when it comes down to a specific player and, and it's their turn to determine between the G league and in Europe, um, really just hopefully you've signed and worked with a credible agent who knows the business has contacts. They can talk to you in the G league and, and over in Europe to determine what is this year going to look like for me playing wise and ultimately make, make an educated decision from there. Yeah. And so did you ever have this conversation with Daron Davis or was he kind of always dead set on going to play overseas? Well, yeah, we definitely had that conversation. Um, so f for him, 
we really saw the trajectory being a start over in Europe because of his unfortunate injury history, um, you know, heading into a sophomore year at IU, he was really in the situation where he was on a lot of teams, NBA radars. Uh, you know, he was, you know, he could have been a guy to come out after his junior year, had he been able to stay healthy. So that was a really unfortunate thing for him uh, of dealing with some of those injuries. So my conversations with him were very similar in the fact of we don't want to wait till the G League draft to come around because the feedback we're getting is it's good, but it's not convincing me enough to say, hey, let's wait an extra couple of months to sign a deal to see if we snag something in the G League. So for him, really, and I think this was a part of what really attracted him to want to work with me um, was being honest with him with the fact that I think we need a year or two over in Europe, show the teams you're healthy, you can really perform, and then after that, we can come back to the G League. Once we have a bit new film on you, you can show teams you can stay healthy for an entire season again after a rough junior year, especially early junior year. Senior year wasn't bad. Um, that was kind of how our conversations went. It was really more focused on, um, and him trusting me through this entire process has been great um, of him understanding and, and trusting that I'm going to put him in a situation over in Europe where a year or two over there could give him a shot to potentially come back to the G League because he's still a highly sought after player because of his, his experience and size. So somewhat similar conversations, but um, I at least had an idea, again, due to the experience and players I've worked with in the past, of having a, a pretty good idea of where our likely starting point would be for him. Yeah. So how did you first get connected with Daron Davis? So that was actually a, one of those a little odd situations, and I had to do a bit of digging. So, um, again, every player you recruit's a little different. I, I hadn't up until I actually started representing Daron because after that I was able to speak a little more with the IU coaching staff. And at that time there's a bit of turnover going on in the staff. So that's typically a challenging situation when there's turnover going on in the collegiate staff because people are going in and out looking for new jobs. So that can get a little messy sometimes, but for him, um, sometimes the compliance offices don't get back to you. If you don't have a close contact with the coaching staff, you need to sometimes dig back to their younger days. So what I actually did was um, I started doing some research on his past before even playing at IU saw where he played in Colorado um, back in his high school days and ultimately ended up reaching out to his high school coach to have a conversation with him. Um, and his high school coach had stayed in touch with Duran over the years. And ultimately, we all three of us hopped on a three-way call, um, had a conversation from there. Within probably a week or two after that, um, Duran signed with me for that. So that's a – I won't say it's unique, but if there's really a player like him I've been keeping an eye on for a couple of years, um, tend to take a little more time and – and really dig into how can I get in touch with this player and who might have a, a lasting relationship with them. So yeah, yeah for him, it is digging back to the high school days. Okay. So once you finally get Daron signed to the company or just any player in general, like, can you take us through the process of how you find a team for, how you find a team for these players? Right. So first things first would be after we get the contractual stuff out of the way, getting them signed on to the agency, it'd be determining how we want to market this player. Um, typically at this point, once they're signed to the agency, we have at least a general idea between myself and the player as to what we're going to pursue. As I talked about before, determining the G League between the, that compared to playing in Europe. Um, some players know from the get-go, they're hey, I'm going I'm to play in Europe. I understand that that's where I'm going to make my money. That's where I'm going to play. I have no problem with that. So before we even sign players for the most part, we have a good idea of what, where we're trying to market them to. So after we sign those players um, – we then go into our marketing phase, which would be putting together our marketing package for the specific player, all their film, 
history stats for the past couple of years, pointing out any specific awards they've gotten, first team all-conference, uh, regional, whatever it might be, along with a couple full game films, all into a profile to, for us to send to these, these contacts overseas. So, And then after that process of getting their marketing package together, typically the process is for that initial time period, uh, beginning of late spring to summer when players finish up school. So on that late April, May, June time, that's when it's a lot of sending out a lot of feelers, especially for these rookie players who are coming out of college. Again, usually based on where they're at position, position wise, um, where they've been at statistically the past couple of years, what level they've played at. I'll have a good idea of certain countries or regions they might excel in starting off or at least get more interest in starting. So during that time, it's a lot of information collecting from our contacts overseas, whether it's my partners I work with or people in my network with um, at specific teams, coaches, GMs, managers, whoever it may be, is getting feedback from them, getting an idea of what their needs are, what their budget's going to look like this upcoming year, if things have gone up or down, whether because of success or failures at the club, uh, loss of sponsors, gaining more sponsors. So things change every single year for a lot of these teams. Um, so really, once we have an idea of where this player might potentially be able to fit into for their first year playing professionally, it, it's, again, getting a lot of feedback and information from clubs. Some clubs look early in the year, like I said, around that May, June time. And there's other clubs that wait until late August, early September to even start looking for their import players. Um, all of them have different strategies. So over these couple of months during the summer, from signing them to the agency to getting them signed to their pro deal, it's a lot of just talking with a lot of different personnel, different teams, ultimately determining what my player market value is going to be this upcoming season. Um, and then eventually kind of honing down to a handful of specific countries I really want to focus in on for them because I'm, because I'm getting good feedback. It fits a level of play and experience they have. Um, I think they could really excel in this league, to help them jump up and get to a, a next level the following year. It's yeah. typically how the process goes from signing to getting them signed to their deal. Okay, so uh, once once you finally find that you're in the negotiation process, does it is it usually just kind of like in terms of one-year deals or do sometimes they go multi-year? I would say about 80 to 90%, if not more, of contracts over in Europe are one-year deals. Sometimes team will do two years. That's a little more common if you're talking teams in Euro League, Champions League, sometimes Euro Cup, places like that. Um, it's a little more common to sometimes do a, a one-plus-one or a team option for the second year or just a two-year deal. I would say most deals don't surpass two years. Um, again, sometimes you say you're talking in the – ACB over in Spain or Liga Endesa, um, they might have a couple players who have signed a little bit longer, but that's a lot of the times they're Spanish players or players from Europe. Um, so I would say vast majority of the time it's one-year deals. They're almost, again, vast majority of the time non-guaranteed contracts. Um, I've been fortunate enough to get mine guaranteed about 30, 40% of the time for my players. But over, overall, for the most part, they're usually non-guaranteed contracts. Teams can, it might be a one-year deal, but this team, if you don't come in and perform in the, next, in the first month, we'll cut you right away, and we don't owe you anything else. We just have to fly you home is the extent of it. So most deals are one year. One year. Um, every now and then it's, it can be beneficial to a one-plus-one if it's in a really high league. Let the player get them, their feet out of themselves for year one and then have a strong second year with the team. And, we're, and, then, you know, and then everybody in the organization is committed to this player for two years. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it's really almost always one-year deals. Um, non-guaranteed, and you have to go there and perform if you want to stay there the whole year. 
Okay. Well, I've got one last question for you before we end off the podcast. So obviously you and strategic athlete initiatives, you've been going strong for five years now. So what exactly is your guys's next step? What do you see going on within these next few years? So next step, very interesting thing going on right now. Um, so obviously first and foremost, is going to be continue to grow our client base, um, continue to get players from top universities who perform really well, um, trying to make it to the NBA level. That's where we ultimately want to be is working with more players in the G league and NBA and having our players who have played over in Europe really continue to ascend up the, the boards in Europe. Um, and it's whether they want to come back over to the G league or continue to, to raise in the level over in Europe. Um, so that's really number one. It's continue to our guys I have on my board right now that I've been working with for years. I want to make sure they're taken care of and get to the next level. After that, again, expanding clientele is, is the biggest, as we talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast as well, of expanding into additional sports, expanding our team as well. Um, we'd love to tap into additional sports. I said all the major four sports here in the States we'd love to be involved in along with esports and I mean, golf, the list just goes on of different areas we would like to potentially tap into as time goes on. So I guess in one word, it's just expansion, um, really building off the first couple of years we've had. Um, there's a lot of agencies that had a lot of challenging times the past year, as a lot of the country and world did of when people aren't traveling country to country, it's, it's can be a slightly challenging to have players um, flying over to other countries when um, there's travel restrictions going on. So after a, a challenging year in 2020 and even in 2021, we're seeing a lot of that seep over into this year of it's just ma- maintaining stability um, and trusting the process we put in these past couple of years. Um, so to really see that expansion of our personal team as an, as an agent team and also our um, expanding our team of, of clientele and our clientele base to more players as well. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, just so you know, I mean, I'm one of your biggest fans. I'll be there rooting for you all the time. Maybe we'll be working together again sometime. But um, I just really appreciate you coming on to the show. I appreciate it, Jason. And and hopefully I've been able to provide a bit of insight as to the uh, life and uh, business of the agent in case anybody else is looking to get involved. All right. You have a great day, Alex. Thanks, Jason, too. Yep. See ya. a huge thank you to Alex Tominski for coming on the show today. He's just a great dude. Worked for him this past spring semester. Learned a lot about the recruiting side of the business as well as the European basketball market. Maybe we work together again someday. Who knows? He mentioned in the podcast that he plans on evolving SAI to multiple sports, which involves baseball. And as for many of you guys know who listen to the podcast quite often, Baseball is a sport that I plan on representing athletes in here in the future. So maybe we work together again. So looking forward to that. See what uh, comes from that. But make sure to check out next week's episode with Virginia pitcher Blake Bales. His team made the College World Series this year, and Blake was named a finalist for the NCAA's Stopper of the Year, which is basically just a reliever of the year. I want to thank my boy Dylan Schaefer from Niblock. Um, without him, next week's episode would not be possible. He hooked me up with Blake here um, a few months ago, so got in contact with Blake from there. So I'm just really looking forward to next week's episode, talking with a col- another college baseball player. It'll be another episode of the Top Prospect Series brought to you by SNK Designs. Just really looking forward to it. So make sure to check that out and I'll catch you guys next week.